Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So I grew up with a pretty severe stutter. If you don't pick up on that within the next couple of minutes, uh, chances are you grew up with severe hearing loss. I hear people talk about being, being anxious all the time, and in my head, I'm like, you don't know what anxious is until you are a teenage boy with a stutter going on a first date. See, I um, convinced this girl of my dreams to spend a Saturday night with me and go see a film. It was 2003, so we obviously went and saw the last Amorai starring uh, Tom Cruise. I was a little nervous about that whole thing because I couldn't really say any words well, but the two types of words that I could not say started with L's and started with S's. So my anxiety started to just go. I get to the window to order my ticket and I said, I would like a ticket for, and I locked up. So I was like, I'm gonna try this again. I would like a ticket for, and again, nothing. Nothing came out of my mouth. Took a breath, I got myself together, and I said, I would like a ticket for, holy crap, I cannot believe this is still not coming out of my mouth. And honestly, it would have helped a lot if the girl across from me would even name any film. I would have said yes to anything. I finally was able to say it, and uh, I was in the movie theater, and we had a very nice time, mostly because you're not allowed to talk during movies. Oh, by the way, uh, she ended up marrying me, so everything kind of turned out cool. My boy closed the deal. He closed the deal. It's our friend Jonathan. He's on staff here, and I appreciate him being honest about the topic of the day, which is anxiety. And you see where we're headed. We're in this conversation about the battle for our mind, and, and potentially, this is the largest conversation we're having in this whole series. This is maybe the most consequential conversation we're having in this series. We saved it for last on purpose. See, when we, at the end of the service, give some space for prayer, whether it's in your seat or to come forward to the prayer teams or in 12-stone home with your leaders, we believe that this might be some moments where God wants to do things and free us from th things and, and bring peace to places where anxiety has reigned for a long time. So we're expectant of it, but I want to lay out the conversation first. So let's start here. Interestingly, the word anxiety, it comes from a Latin word that actually means to choke suffocate or be unable to breathe. If you've ever suffered from anxiety or worry or anything in that lane, that definition, you're like, yep. <laughs> like it's the tightness in your chest. It's almost hard to, to breathe. The voice of anxiety says, if the thing I worry about actually happened, it would wipe me out. It would be awful. It would be horrible. Dr. Albert Ellis calls it awfulizing. You look at the world around you, begin to assume that the, the worst case scenario is going to happen with us. And I don't know where you sit today on the spectrum of anxiety, 
whether you're like the one out of 10 sort of normal anxiety, you're, you're more in the lane of like, I'm worried if UGA can beat Florida now that Brock Bowers is out for a while. Like that's a one out of 10, although I share the worry against Florida. May, may Jesus conquer through the Bulldogs. Um, or, or, or you might be on the other end where it's like, this is like an 11 out of 10 clinical anxiety. I don't know where you sit. And I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist to unpack the 11 out of 10, but I do know God invites us to have this conversation because we all have stress and pressure that causes us to worry, to fear, to be anxious. And I want to push a little bit on that because a couple thoughts. My, my counselor friend told me, listen, 80% of medications dispensed in the world are for anxiety-related issues. 80%. There's a, there's a term called chronic stress or chronic worry, and it's the kind of stress and worry that keeps you on high alert for long periods of time, and it affects your physical body. If you've never experienced anxiety, you're like, get over it. What's the big deal? When you've sat in it, it affects your physical body, and as many as seven in 10 Americans suffer from physical problems based on chronic stress and worry. And 60% of doctor visits are due to stress and worry-related issues. So we're on all of our agenda today. <laughs> and and, and you, you might think, this is not my thing. You might leave and go, man, I have more anxiety than I realized. I just didn't see it. And you might have shown up going, I'm a 12 out of 10 in anxiety. And you might leave going, you know what? I see hope and a way out. That's not really where I sit in the conversation but for all of us, our minds have a natural tendency to worry, don't they? If you're a mom, that times five. Like just, if you're a mom with boys, that times 10. If you're a mom with boys that are like just hitting the age where they're riding a bike without training wheels, that times 100. And if you're a parent of a kid that drives like my son just got his learner's permit a couple weeks ago, that times a million. God help us. By the way, if you see my son on the road, just pull over. It's safer for everybody, all right? <laughs> Worry is our natural tendency. And there's been seasons where I have gone with little to no sleep because the battle of worry in my mind starts asking, what if this happens? What if that happens? My kids, marriage, finances, church, future. There's so much. So this conversation today is me raising a hand, not me pointing a finger. It's me going, yep, me too. Not me saying, grow up, church. It's me too. Because we have in this generation a connectedness that we can see everything, everywhere, all the time with that little device we hold in our hands. And if you've not noticed, the world gives you plenty of things to be worried about. Turn on the nightly news for five minutes. I don't care, any five minutes. And you'll leave with more anxiety. Like if, if, if you just look around, look at the news. Look at what's happening in Israel. If you don't have some low-grade worry and anxiety growing in your chest, I, I, you might be a robot. You might need to check your pulse. You look at what's happening and your heart breaks for what's happening there. And you think of the potential of war or death. And you watch the news and crime and economy and chaos just everywhere. And inside of you, this anxiety, this worry starts to rise up. Here's a quote I found this week that I love. Reality is the leading cause of worry for those in touch with it. 
Where does worry come from? Reality. See, this is a part of our existence and the human experience. And we live in a world that's full of chaos. But where does that come from? I want to take us back and we need to understand where this all comes from so we can understand where God wants to take us. So it starts in Genesis 1. And you're like, you said we're going to go back. Yeah, I'm going way back, like all the way back. First words of the Bible, Genesis 1. And God, God says, in the beginning, and he began to create, but the world was formless and empty before he created. It was in a chaotic state. And then God began to bring order from the chaos, okay? And he did that through like dividing and organizing and ordering things. Like he ordered, he divided the darkness from the light. That was chaos. And now there's darkness and there's light. And then he, he divided the sea from the dry land. Otherwise, it's just mud everywhere. So he divided sea and dry land. And then he divided animals according to their kind. Lions over here, tigers over there, dogs over there. And he, he ordered things. He put things into order. And then he divided humanity into male and female so that families could exist and we could procreate and life could happen. For six days, God established his order on the earth. And then on the seventh day, God rested. So for six days, from chaos to order, and then God, along with all of creation, rested inside of his order. And that was God's design. Then in Genesis 3, sin enters the world. Satan tempted Eve. She ate the fruit, brought Adam over. Adam's like, yeah, dude, cool. Let's have some fruit. And now sin enters the world. And what sin did was not just mess up spiritual things. It twisted God's order. God's inherent order in creation was damaged and chaos was introduced. I, you, you have to understand this in order to see God rightly. God took chaos and brought order. Sin took God's order and exchanged it for chaos. And all the things that God had ordered are now flipped upside down. And so we have confusion instead of clarity, deception instead of truth, hiding instead of openness, pain instead of ease, loss instead of security. And everything on this earth is touched in some way by the chaos of sin. And what was easy to do on the seventh day after God created order, rest, was now suddenly almost impossible to do because the world of chaos creates worry and anxiety and fear. And what if this happens? And what if that happens? This is a result of the original sin because sin brought with it chaos. And since that moment in Genesis 3, chaos is the rule of the day. Now, here's the good news. Revelation 21 and 22 tells us that in the end, God will once again restore his order and give us a perfect garden again for all of eternity. Praise Jesus. The problem is between the first garden in Genesis 1 and the last garden in Genesis or Revelation 21 and 22, there's a whole lot of living to do between them. And you and I are stuck in the in-between garden season. And we are left with a lot of things that we can find to worry about. I'll just give you a few in case you're still confused. Here's some things. You worry about work, retirement, finding a spouse, and then once you have a spouse, losing a spouse. Having kids, 
And then you have them, and then you're worried about something happening to our kids. Getting sued or getting sick. How we look or what other people think about us. If we will be successful or fall short. If the world is falling apart, World War III, what's happening out there? If the economy will crash, this is just a quick list. You could add five more of your own, couldn't you? Like the world is not as God ordered it at the beginning. It is chaotic. And in the chaos, there is plenty of things we can find to worry about. And there's no end to the things we can find to worry about. But here's the thing. Anxiety is more than just worry. See, worry is the act, but anxiety is the state of being. Here's how I'd say it. Anxiety is what happens when worry takes over your mind and moves from real to hypothetical. See, when you start diving into the clinical studies and psychology behind anxiety, anxiety is not a normal worry. Like, I'm worried about snakes. I live in the South. I don't know where you live. If you're watching online, I live in the South. Snakes are scary. Snake bad. Genesis 3 tells us from the beginning, snake bad. People good. God loves snake bad. That is a real and present thing to worry about. But what anxiety does is take that worry that is from God. And instead you go, what if there's a snake in my bed right now? Or what if there's a snake under this chair right now? And what worry does is you start to imagine or anticipate the things you fear actually happening. See, the question of, of anxiety is what if fill in the blank? Not what's really in front of you, but like, what if this happened? Or what if that happens? That would be so bad. And it, it, what happens is worry takes over your mind and you begin to think, what if this or that bad thing happens to me? See, I started this series with an honest conversation about my parents having the car accident. And that was a hopeless season. But what I didn't talk about was the season after that. Because what happened is I was living my life. Everything was good. My wife's pregnant with our first son. Working at 12 Stone, life is good. I know the world's chaotic. I've not really experienced a lot of it. And then my phone rang. And everything changed that fast. Your mom's been in a car accident. Your mom and dad are at the hospital. Go find them. <laughs> then I dealt with the hopeless and the grieving of losing my mom. And then the thing I didn't expect happened, which was I became an anxious person. Like every time my wife would be like on the road with one of our kids in the car and I'd call and she didn't answer, the battle in my mind started cycling into, okay, they're, they're all dead. They've crashed. There's a, there's a hit and run. She's in a ditch somewhere. I, you can ask my wife. I would text her four or five times. Where are you? Are you okay? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Over like until I heard back and I'm like, okay, okay, take a breath, take a breath. Anytime I couldn't reach her when she's driving, my mind cycled into things. I had 
in one moment, my world flipped from one phone call. And what I said to myself was, I never want to experience that again. And I, I just get inside the spiral of worry in my head. And I begin to paint what if pictures that are the worst thing possible. See, when I, when I was growing up, we were never like truly abject poverty. That was not my story, but we never had like more than we needed. And so the, the, the reality of what shaped my childhood was like, be smart with money. And in the season after my, my mom's car accident, the anxiety then spread from like protecting my family into like, I need to have stuff in the bank because if that's not there, I, my anxiety starts to rise up and I, I, I need to have my emergency fund. And then would like the car transmission would break and I'd have to spend the money. I wouldn't sleep and I'd sit in there going, all it takes is one more phone call and I could lose everything. And I sat in this pattern of worry and it went from like worry over real things eventually into like anxiety over imagined things. And I was owned by fear and worry and anxiety in this season. And, and like, like another example, I have a friend who lost his mom to cancer when he was in high school. And to this day, whenever he gets an ache or a pain, his mind immediately goes, I have cancer. That's what it is. I know it. And we'll go to the doctor. Just give me the news. And the doctor's like, you, you got a bruise, dude. Like, relax. But his mind. And listen, we are so tempted when you hear other people's experience with worry or anxiety. It's so easy to say, just get over it. It's a short, it's a sore shoulder. It's not cancer. Get over it. We can see the irrational in others, but often miss it in ourselves. You can look at mine and go, you're crazy. And then look in the mirror and miss, you're crazy. See, anxiety is not rational, but it feels so real. And here's the lie of anxiety. If you're taking notes, write this down. The lie is this, that we can protect ourselves from chaos by pursuing control. Let that sit for a second. Anxiety whispers to you, you can actually protect yourself from all the chaos of the world if you'll just chase control. Because when you're in control, you feel safe. When you're out of control, you feel unsafe. That's why some of y'all love roller coasters. You're not in control and you feel that, oh, I like that feeling. It's different when it's your life, your marriage, your kids, your family, your finances, the world, the economy. We love this feeling of control. You see, the chaos and uncertainty of the world around us creates a desire inside of us to feel control amidst the chaos. And Jesus tells a story in Luke 12. It's a parable. It's a made-up story that he's, he's driving us to, to make a point about life. And in Luke 12, if you have your Bibles, you can grab that. We're going to sit inside of Luke 12 for a minute. But this story is one I've read a hundred times, and God has never given me the light bulb aha understanding of this story like he did until this week. See, Jesus tells a parable, and here's how it starts. It says that Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said to himself, listen, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Makes sense. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. 
Sounds like a good day, doesn't it? I want you to see the, the, the story. He has a, a bountiful crop, and he looks at what he's amassed, and he says, I know the world's chaotic and uncertain, and you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. So I've got to figure out, how do I protect and control what I have? Because back then, there were no supermarkets. If you lose your food, you don't have any more food. There's no DoorDash to go, well, lost the food. Let's see if they'll send some over to me. Didn't work that way. And so in a desire that was driven by worry or fear or anxiety, he decides to, to I want you to see it. He decides, listen, I'm going to go build a barn big enough that if I can just, I'm back here, by the way. If I, if I could just build a barn big enough to keep all my stuff, I can be in control and I can do what it says, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And listen, when you have anxiety, if you're in a season of worry, what do you desperately want? To relax, to eat, to drink, to be merry, to just be okay. And his, his driving desire to like, I don't want to fear the future. I don't want to have the anxious worry. He builds the barn, puts his stuff in and goes. Whew. See, what anxiety does to you is it causes us to anticipate the things that we fear and then to take action to ensure they don't happen to us. And I want you, I want you to see this. Because you think of the story in the parable, you go, yeah, I don't build barns anymore. I don't know how this applies. Let me, let me play it out. See, my, my fear over my family, after I got the phone call that changed my life, you know what I started doing? I didn't build a barn, but I started building protective walls. And my wife would be like, the sun's going down, and she's like, I'm going to go pick up the kids. You know what I do? I go, no, 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 no. I'll get them. You stay home. Because if I go, I'm in control and I don't have to worry what's going to happen to you and all the things. And I, I, put that, I put that up. I would be embarrassed to tell you the amount of times that Amber and I were like thinking about taking a trip together. And we went, no, 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 no. What if something happens to the plane or what if we're on the road? The kids are home. I don't want my kids to ever get the call that I got. And so I put up walls to control and to shelter from any of the chaos out there getting into my life. And I spent my life anxiously, furiously, busily putting up walls so I could go. And when I was out here, I felt anxious. When I was in here, I felt protected from the things of the world. They can't get into here. When the, when the economy goes weird and my, and my fear of like losing all the money and I have no way to provide, so what do I do? I start hoarding things and putting all my money into bank accounts. And Amber's like, can we get some new pants? No. Sew the holes up. This is our life. We're going to live in here. Like we need to do a vacation. It's called the backyard. Let's put our money in here. And, and, and here's the thing. When I lived inside of here, I felt safe protected. Listen, the things you worry about, the things that just crawl through your mind, like what if this happened to my kids? You become a helicopter parent. You just got to, no, you stay in here. You worry about what people think about you. 
And so you put up this facade of smiles and everything's good. As long as you're behind this, no one can really see. You put up these walls that make you feel like you have some semblance of control. You see this pathway to anxiety. Life happens in a chaotic and fallen world. Then you or someone you know experiences chaos. Something bad happens. Something worrisome or scary. And then anxiety is sort of planted in in your mind. And then worry starts to take root. And then anxiety tells you anticipate and control what could happen. Put the walls up. And and it, it, it works for a minute. But eventually anxiety does a 180. And you go from I have anxiety to anxiety has me. And you know what anxiety does to you? It robs you of the present in order to protect from a future that may or may not happen. And I didn't even realize it and I couldn't see it. I was missing out on the moments of life with my kids. I was so scared of what could happen. I was so scared financially that I couldn't enjoy and bless my family with fun things or trips or good things because I was so scared. I was robbing the present in order to protect from a future that might not even happen. That's why anxiety is so hard to break and so costly in the moment because the walls we put up, they give us a false sense of protection. They work for a while. But then you wake up and realize this is not the life that I want. I'm physically present with my kids, but emotionally somewhere else because I'm so busy putting walls. See, the problem, though, is no matter how much we build to feel like we're in control, the world is still fallen and chaotic and bad things still happen. And here's what Jesus does as he wraps that parable, talking about the same farmer. He says this, but God said to the farmer, fool, this night your soul's required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Jesus is going, listen, you did all the work. You put up all the walls. Your barn's big. Your food's secure. And you're going to die tonight. And you hear that and go, this is the least hopeful message I've ever heard. <laughs> the world's chaotic and you will die. Now, that is true. I can't disagree with that. Here, here's what I need you to understand. This is not fatalistic. This is freeing. I've never, here's where God flipped something for me. I've never read that parable connected to anxiety before. But here's the very next conversation Jesus has in this flow of thinking. Verse 22 in Luke 12. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's, that's an anxiety parable. I've never seen this before, that Jesus is going, I want to give you a picture of what anxiety looks like. And then I want to tell you, This is not fatalistic. I want to free you from this. Don't be anxious about your life. And it gets practical. Verse 25. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest of the stuff? He's going like, you can't, by worrying, add a moment to your life. So if you can't add a moment to your life, why are we so worried about everything else? See, we don't, we don't even belong to this world. We're here temporarily, and our anxiety might be justified. Here's what Jesus is saying. Your anxiety might be justified. There's plenty of reasons to be worried. 
It might be justified, but it doesn't actually help you or change anything except to ruin the present. See, in a world absent of God's perfect order, we get to decide how we will battle in our minds with worry and anxiety. And Jesus continues in Luke 12, and he just starts to paint this picture of our Father in heaven. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or clothed like one of these flowers. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Meaning, like people who don't know Jesus do that. But you know this, that your father knows that you need those things. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So Jesus is painting a picture of truth. If the lie of, of anxiety tells you, man, just protect yourself from the chaos. Grab control and nothing can happen in a chaotic world. You can control it. Here's what the truth of God would say. Like in a chaotic world, here's what you have to remember. He's got the whole world in his hands. In a chaotic world, God holds the world in his hands. And as the chaos and the worry gets more real and gets heavier than you, sometimes you have to go back to the most simple truths you can find. Here's what Psalm says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. He holds all this together. See, for me, when I was in this season, whenever I got a phone call from a number I didn't know, I assumed it was a police officer telling me the bad news. Whenever I couldn't get a hold of my wife, I just knew she was on the side of the road. I just. I would be embarrassed if, if you would have been in my bedroom when my wife and kids are gone and I'm sitting there going, I can't get a hold of Amber. It's over. And I remember in those moments going back to the simplest truth I could grab. That silly song. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yes, Jesus loves me. I had to take myself back. The most childlike truth. Because I was drowning in fear and worry and anxiety. And anxiety convinced me my, my family's gone. It's all over. And I'm sitting there just on my protection. I put the walls up. I shouldn't let her leave. I shouldn't let her go. I knew I shouldn't have let it happen. He's got the whole world. I had to bring myself back to the most basic truth I could find. And over time, my emotions caught up to my theology. 
I've heard it said, listen, that anxiety is momentary atheism. It's got teeth, but, but it's like for a moment you forget who your father is. Because if you could see who God was, you wouldn't worry. And I know that's so oversimplified. And I'm not saying this in a pointed finger. I'm saying it in a raised hand. I was simultaneously preaching at church and singing. He's got the whole world in his hands in my bedroom. I was parsing scripture and, and digging into the Greek and Hebrew and bringing truth here while singing, yes, Jesus loves me to myself as I can't get a hold of my wife. It's momentary atheism. You forget who God is. And we get so busy anticipating what could happen, trying to avoid the chaos and protect from bad things happening that we forget and we miss the nature and pattern that Jesus actually modeled in Scripture. See, Jesus was the least anxious person that ever lived because he had the most clear picture of who God was. Jesus wasn't calm in the midst of chaos because he was just a good dude. He had seen the Father in heaven and knew him. And even when things got crazy, he'd be like, yep, yep, I got it, but God's got it. See, Mark 6, here's just one example of what Jesus did as things got chaotic. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people coming and going, they didn't have a chance to eat. You feel the chaos of the moment. And here's what Jesus says. All right, come with me. Go by ourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You go, what? It's chaos everywhere. And you just go, we're going to go, we're going to bail for a while. We're going to go find some quiet and we're going we're to get some rest. See, part of what fuels anxiety is the hurry that it drives into your life. Pick, like, if your life is always reordering, I got to protect. I got to move. Something got through on this side. I got to go over here. And then, uh-oh, this side's covered and this side. And your life just becomes this giant hurry and rush and protect. It just feeds itself. And Jesus is like, when all this is happening, hey, we're going to, can we just grab some quiet? And I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think the practice should be for anxiety, and it's going to come across overly simplistic, but I hope by the time we're done, it's meaningful, and you might consider it. See, the practice that breaks the back of anxiety is actually Sabbath. And the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to rest, to stop, or to cease striving. It goes all the way back to Genesis. God put things in order for six days, got things in order, and then he rested inside of his order. And what anxiety does is say, you always have to be protecting, controlling, guarding, and you can't stop because the second you stop, something's going to get in. The phone call's going to come. The bad thing's going to happen. And you live your life always on guard. And what Sabbath tells you is this. Listen, stop. Because when you stop, he's still working. When you rest, he doesn't sleep. When you let your guard down, his guard stays up. See, Sabbath, 
Here's how Ezekiel says, here's what he says about Sabbath. It's beautiful. And God says, listen, and keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between me and you. Like if you're my son or daughter, Sabbath is a sign that you may know that I am the Lord, your God. See, anxiety keeps you so busy that you don't see and don't know that he is the Lord, your God. And when you Sabbath, you slow down and you go, God, I trust you. And when I rest, it's me demonstrating I trust you. Rest is about showing trust more than anything else. Anxiety says, stay on guard, keep working, keep protecting, keep controlling. And Sabbath says, I trust you, God. The lilies in the field are clothed better than Solomon. You'll take care of me. By worrying, how can I even add an hour to my life? So why am I worried about all the other stuff? If you hold the world in your hands, then you hold the next bill in your hands. If you, if you hold the universe together, you can get my wife home safe. And, and, and even if you don't, I still trust you in it. See, Sabbath breaks the back of anxiety and brings you walking back the path from anxiety. Because listen, if you don't break free from the pace of life, you will break down from the pressures of it. And the word Sabbath is not a 21st century word. Because you have a phone and you're never off. The pressures of work are always on. The fears and worry of the news is always running. And yet, I believe God wants to speak to an age-old problem with an age-old truth. And it's Sabbath. And Sabbath is, first of all, it's a one in seven rest why we're gathered here today, candidly. We gather to come together and God to remind you, I've got the whole world. You're here, not just because it's a religious box to check, but because it's how God reminds your heart and your mind and your soul. He's in control. And I don't believe for us today that Sabbath is just a one day in seven. I think there's Sabbath moments where you just have to sing the old songs back to yourself. He's got the whole world. Sabbath hours, Sabbath minutes, Sabbath moments where you have to rest in it. Because if you don't, you're always on guard. And I'm convinced that stress, pressure, worry, and hurry are the greatest enemies of our spiritual lives and our emotional health. If we don't slow down, you'll never recognize that you're, you can... Be still and know that he is God. See, Philippians 4, 5 to 7 gives us God's heart for us. And I want you to see the language that God uses because I think it's so beautiful. And it juxtaposes the, the parable Jesus told with the truth God wants to give us. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Not you're pretty good or you're set up right. Don't be anxious. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then here's the result and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, meaning your circumstances don't have to change in order for you to not be anxious. His peace is more than what you can even understand. It passes all understanding and it will guard 
your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love the word that, that he will guard your hearts and mind. Because I want to show you again, anxiety is when I guard my interests and I protect against my fears, and I stand here in my little box that I create, that I feel safe. And then what, what Philippians 4 is saying is, listen, when you pray and bring your worries and your fears to God, you don't have to guard yourself. You can be freed up knowing that he has your back. He guards you. I don't have to live a life caged into my fear and my worry. I can lay it before God and know, God, you guard my heart and my mind, my future, and the what ifs, and the what if this happens, and what if that happens. And I'd like to tell you that there was a moment and everything changed. I was never anxious again. And now I'm like, what are you guys scared about watching the news? Come on. It's, but I know this. When I get anxious thinking about my son driving, and I'm like, oh God, what if? Like I was joking earlier, he got his permit and I'm like, stay off the road. Think of my story and what that does to me. Cars and roads and I don't have great history. If you don't think I have to re-surrender it over, over. He just has his permit. God help us. The first time, no mom or dad in the car. I will have to go to new places if he holds the whole world in his hands. And to new places of God, I present my request before you. And I ask that you would exchange my worry for your peace. My fear for your guardianship over my life and my son and my family and my future. See, the path out of anxiety is counterintuitive. It's just that the things you used to build walls around to control, you now present to God in prayer. And say, God, will you guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus? This is not fatalistic. It's freeing. Listen, bad things will happen in your future. Like, I wish I could tell you there's some magic verse that's like, and by the way, once you accept Christ, everything's going to be great. I'm going to get another phone call someday. I don't know what the economy is going to do. I don't know what the world stage is going to do. I can't promise you that your circumstances are going to be great. But I can promise you that if you would offer your prayers, say, God, I have to trust you with this he would begin to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, that your circumstances can be weighty. But the one who guards your heart and mind is so much more than the stuff that can happen. And he loves you more than you could love yourself. He loves your kids more than you could love your kids. He wants your future to be held in his hand more than you want control over your future. Bad things will still happen, but you're not facing them on your own. God's not asking you to just to fall back into passivity and go, well, whatever then. He's asking you to step into his power. And the church for so long has been known for the things we don't do. We don't do this and we don't do that. We're different from the world. 
But what if we were known, not by the things we didn't do, but what if we were known by the peace that passes all understanding? What if when people that didn't follow Jesus looked at the church, they'd say, yeah, 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 all the other stuff, but when stuff happens, they carry it different. When the phone call does come, they receive it different. When the world is in chaos and shaky, they walk it different. Because we have access to a peace that passes all understanding and to a God who will guard your heart and your mind. And that is why we're going to end today and this four-week conversation inside moments of prayer. And I'm going to ask a favor. Will you give this five minutes? I know it's like, man, let's get out of here. Let's hit Cracker Barrel. Let's get a restaurant. Let's beat traffic. Uh, let's, like, come on. I... But isn't rushing part of what fuels anxiety? Can you sit in a moment? Not for me. Will you sit in it for you? Because I believe there is a God who loves you. He wants to expose the places where fear and worry and anxiety are owning your present and you're trading your present for an unknown future. And what if he would meet you, whether you're sitting in your seat by yourself praying, whether you're praying with a spouse or a friend, or whether you come up and be prayed over by the prayer teams, like what if God would meet you there? And what if he would guard your heart and mind and give you a peace that passes all understanding in the midst of things that are worth worrying about? What if? So give us five minutes and pastors, would you step up and would you invite our church into these meaningful and beautiful moments of prayer? Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.